I'm Ashling Keenan and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, now in its 12th season and supported by Water Wipes, the number one baby wipe brand in Ireland, made with simply two ingredients and nothing else. When I had my daughter, I wanted something I could trust to use on her skin and Water Wipes were, and still are, the one. I once made the mistake of trying a different brand never again. I did not realise just how much of a difference there could be between two fairly similar brands, but it was huge. My daughter is now two and a half and I panic if I don't have at least one pack of water wipes within line of sight. With that in mind, I'm happy to say this season is supported by that most essential of products for every mum, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2023, including Best Baby Wipes and Best Baby Skincare Essential, they are ideal for delicate newborn skin. Together, we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Every Mum, the podcast. I'm Ashley Keenan, and you will have to excuse my voice this week. I'm a little bit under the weather, which is not great for someone who hosts a podcast to lose their voice, but I just about managed to keep it together while I spoke to this week's guest. So this week I spoke to Sarah Ockwell-Smith, who is a parenting expert. She's written 15 books on parenting over the course of her career, and We could have covered a number of different topics, but what I really wanted to speak to her about was the idea of gentle parenting and what gentle parenting actually is. So like you, I've seen Instagram memes and TikTokers talking about gentle parenting and most of what I saw left me more confused than enlightened. But speaking to Sarah really gave me a clear picture of what it means to be a gentle parent. And no, it doesn't actually involve molly coddling your child and refusing to discipline them. I learned a huge amount during this episode, including how to de-escalate a tantrum in the moment and how best to go about stopping them before they ever happen, Uh, something other parents of toddlers, I'm sure, could benefit from. So enjoy it, and I'll be back next week with more. Sarah Ockwell-Smith, thank you so much for joining me today on Every Moment of the Podcast. I'm so delighted to have you and to tap you for all of the information I know you have stored up in there after 15 books on parenting. How are you? Good, thank you. Yes. You've so much, like you you literally have a, a library of books that you've written. What what kind of, for anyone who doesn't know you or who hasn't got one of your books, what got you into that um, <laughs> sphere, if you like? just completely random by chance I you know was one of the original bloggers I guess about parenting back in gosh what did we literally 20 years ago now I started blogging about parenting um when I think parenting books weren't such a thing as they are now and you didn't have all the social media influences and so forth there wasn't a huge amount of information out there so I used to teach antenatal classes and I parents would say to me oh you know help for afterwards so I started writing a blog um, and then I randomly got my publishers to review one of their books. And then I was like, actually, while you're here, I have this idea for a, a, a new parenting book. Are you interested? And they're like, sure, send it over. Um, so then, yeah, that, that was picked up in 2010, I think. And then it literally just like I, I've never 
wanted to be an author. I never meant to be an author. I just wrote this one book because I really felt that there was a need for it at the time. And then every time I wrote a book, people would say, now you're going to write about this, right? Now, you know, you've written about babies, you're going to write about toddlers. So I did that and then it'd be, but now are you going to write, we need some help with sleep or we need some help with potty training or we need some help now our children are getting older. So I think it's kind of, yeah, just one became two, became three, became 10, became 15. And then actually somewhere along the way, I would say probably about book five, I actually really got into writing and actually really, really enjoy it. So I think now I've moved from writing what people wanted me to write to actually I really like to write about this now. Because it's not just writing, it's like researching it. And I'll spend a year sort of immersed in something, learning about it and then write about it. So it's kind of moved. Why I do it has shifted. That's so funny. So you're an accidental author and yet you are, yeah, like you said, 15 books in and you're still, yeah. you're now, you've you've started to like it. I'm, I'm, Silly, most I'm so horrific at English at school. I used to get terrible marks for all of my writing. <laughs> so, yeah. I'd say your teachers might be surprised at the career path yeah. that you went down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm most interested. I mean, look, I, I was looking through a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about um lining this up. I was looking through your um your back catalogue of books and there's so many that I would love to, you know, speak to you about. But one of the topics that it has kind of come up for me as a parent lately, and I know a lot of people um are kind of, I think, confused and I think there are a lot of misconceptions about is gentle parenting, mm-hmm. um, which I know you have, uh, you have a book called the, um, the gentle parenting book. And then you've also got a book called how to be a calm parent, which mm-hmm. I feel kind of probably go hand in hand. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So in terms of gentle parenting for someone who is, you know, maybe having their first child or is, is trying to, I don't know, trying to map out what kind of parent they want to be. What is gentle parenting really, as opposed to what you might see or or assume that gentle parenting is? Oh gosh, it's so basic. It's basically just treating children in the way that you would like to be treated. So being understanding towards them, being informed about their development, because so many of the issues we have as parents are because we have completely unrealistic expectation of children. So understanding how their brain develops and what they're capable of. Um, being kind to them, having empathy. So that would look like rather than seeing a child as being naughty deliberately, you think, you know, why are they struggling? What's causing this behavior? As you would with an adult, really, you wouldn't just call an adult naughty. You'd be like, you're going through something. Um, And then just treating them with respect. You know, they're, they're fully formed human beings from the beginning. So why would we not treat them with respect? And then that's all kind of packaged up with, of course, then we would have boundaries. Of course, we say no, because as parents, our role is to teach and guide them. And you can't do that without saying no and not having boundaries. But it's really I call it a state of being rather than a state of doing. So if you go onto TikTok, you'll find what is gentle parenting or the gentle parenting way to resolve X, Y, Z. And I don't recognize those as gentle parenting. When people say, what's the gentle parenting way to make a child do what you want them to do? And it's like, well, there isn't. There's no phrases or scripts or magic answers. It's not about the two words, the two line sentence that you'll say to try and get them to do something. It's about what you're bringing to the situation. It's about who you are, what you believe and how you act always. 
Mm. You would think that those those elements are you like would go without saying that you would be respectful of your child and that you would be, you know, empathetic of their needs and understand that they are children and they're still developing and that kind of thing. But actually in practice, and I could say for myself a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know, as much as I might try that, it's it's incredibly frustrating when, you know, life has to move at a certain pace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for want of a better phrase, you have your child has to kind of row in and, and sometimes do things at a certain time or in a certain way. Like, is there a difference then between, you know, having those boundaries and and I suppose being I don't know how to explain it like there's times where I'll have to not raise my voice because I tend not to do that but you know I have to be a bit like come on we need to we need to get going or whatever exactly yeah like you know when you get caught in a situation like that it's very difficult to be um Mm -hmm. you know to to stop and think and 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 that sort of thing how do you navigate a long one yeah okay a lot of the things we think children must do and things that must happen actually stem back to all of the stuff that we're carrying with us from our childhoods and all of the beliefs that we have because we had to do things like you really must do this you really must not do this and although we think we're coming to this brand new with our own thoughts and feelings we're not we're carrying with us what our parents said and did to us what our grandparents said and did to them so the first thing I would say when a parent says, you know, my child, how do you get them to do this? Because it just has to happen. The first thing I'd say is, does it really? And that's you know, a lot. A lot of the time we'll think, yeah, of course it does. But actually, there's a phrase that I like to use myself, which is what's the worst that could happen if I didn't try and make this happen? So, you know, how do they must get dressed to go out in the morning? And I'm like, well, what's the worst that would happen if they went out in their pyjamas? Or like, they must do this because we'll be late for the playgroup. And it's like, well, what's the worst that would happen if you didn't go to the playgroup? And what you'll tend to find is actually a lot of the things that you think are must-haves really aren't. It's societal conditioning. It's things that we've learned that must happen. So there's a lot of things you can be like, actually, yeah, doesn't matter. How do I make my children stay at the table and eat their dinner? What's the worst that would happen if they didn't? You know, really, do they have to? And I think that's really freeing when we can just think, well, I've always been taught that this has to happen and society tells me it has to happen, but maybe it doesn't. And that's really incredibly freeing. And you will find probably 50% of the time the things that you think that your children must do really don't have to. And it's all right for you to set your own boundaries and set your own rules and break those that you've inherited. If there are times when you really have to do something, then you need to approach this two-pronged so so often with parenting people are like how do I get them to do this and they're talking about dealing with it what I call in the moment so it's already happened how do I fix it but actually if you look at sort of any form of medicine or dentistry or something it's all about prevention and it's about what you can do beforehand to try to make things easier for everybody to not reach that point. And that is so important, but so missed in a lot of parenting. So it's like, okay, right, hold that thought. I'm not going to tell you how to deal with it right now, but we're going to think about how can you make it easier next time. But so much of parenting is what I call firefighting. So it's when it, how, how do I stop my child hitting their sibling? 
And they focus so much on what do I say, gentle hands or hold their hands or something. And I'm like, no, we need to think about why they're hitting their sibling. Do they need more one on one time with you? Do they need more attention? Is Are they struggling with something else? Let's try and work with the root cause. Let's ask why they're struggling. And the more you work with the root cause and try and prevent the behavior, behavior, the less it's likely to happen and the easier it is to deal with it when it does. And I would say if 50% is asking what's the worst that could happen, out of that remaining 50%, you know, 90% of it is asking why and preventing. And then you've got the really last little bit of firefighting which is, okay, this really has to happen. And I've checked and I do want to consciously make this choice. And also done the understanding and the prevention, I really need it to happen. So, you know, I'm going to slightly off tangent here. Our society is not set up for young families, for any age families, to be honest. We are unsupported by governments, politicians. We are unsupported now by our families because we're so insular. We don't have aunts and sisters and grandmothers and mothers around us to to step in. We're expected to go back to work as quickly as possible, to pay these ridiculously high bills that we've got at the moment when everything's going up and poverty levels are soaring. So I think it's important that we understand what we're asking of children sometimes is really impossible. And we're asking it because our lives are so difficult as an adult. And it's therefore easier in a lot of times to change what the adults do. But I talk a lot about something called childism in my latest book, which is we have all these issues in society being not set up for families and children, but we expect children to shoulder all of the burden of that and do all the changing. So an example here would be you have to get up really early tomorrow to go to work and your child needs to go to sleep by seven o'clock tonight. Otherwise, they're going to be really cranky and it's going to be difficult to wake them, blah, blah, blah. How do you get your child to go to bed at seven? So I understand we need to work and pay bills and that has to happen. But we have to understand that's not your child's problem. Equally, we have to understand what we're expecting of them is not in line with what they're capable of doing or what their body needs to do. And I think when we have to try to make a child do something, we have to approach it with that grace and understanding that it's probably not for the best for them. It's just because our lives are so bloody difficult that we have to get them to do it. So if I have to try and get a child to do something, I'm going to try and do it in the kindest way possible, um, which for me is... I will try to bribe them. And I, that will sound really shocking to people who know me because I'm so anti-rewarding children for things. Because the more you reward a child to do something, the more behaviour problems you're going to have in the future. Mm-hmm. Because rewarding doesn't change any of the underlying issues. All it does is put a little dangled carrot in front of them. And if they want that carrot enough, they'll change their behaviour. But it won't change any of the problems that cause it. And what happens as they get older, you have that carrot has to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And they'll reach a point that they're like, you know what? I don't want the stickers or the sweets anymore. Give me 20 pounds or 20 euros. You know, it's it then becomes about cold, hard cash or what, what I call an if then child. If I do it, then what will you give me? Mm. And so many parents start rewarding when children are little and have really uncompliant, unhelpful teenagers because teenagers don't much want all the rewards they have when they were little. And then at that point, you've got nothing. So what we also know is the more you reward a child for doing something, the less likely they are to do it if you take the reward away. So you end up in this trap of having to constantly keep rewarding bigger and bigger, which is why I don't reward in general. 
Like I wouldn't have a reward chart for potty training. I wouldn't have a reward chart to get a toddler to stay in their own bed. Okay. But I keep rewards up my sleeve for emergencies. Okay. <laughs> so let's say I have a doctor's appointment and my two-year-old has been particularly uncooperative. As they do, that's what two-year-olds do. You know, they have no idea how important it is that you get there on time or how long the waiting list is for another appointment. And they want to watch Bluey, you know? it's That's more important to them than your appointment. So they're having a massive tantrum, a massive meltdown. And you're like, but I've got to get them in the car. So for me... That's when I would offer a reward. It's like, hey, I, you know, show the empathy. I know that you want to stay and watch Bluey, but I've really got to go. How about if you do this, we'll go and buy you the new magazine or we'll go for a cake afterwards or we can buy a toy. And it's absolutely bribery. But when you don't do it very often, it really works. It really, really works. Mm-hmm. So that's a, if I really have to make them do something and there's no other alternative, it absolutely would be bribery. And because I wouldn't bribe and do rewards, it's really super effective. Mm-hmm. If it really, even if that's not effective and I've tried to make it a game and done anything else I can to make it fun, if they're still not getting up and it really is like a life or death, I've got to do this thing, then the thing that you're left with is, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to pick you up and put you in the car seat. And they'll fight against you and cry and you say, I'm really sorry, I have to do this. And then you're left with something called rupture and repair which is at the end when you've put them in and you've made them cry and they're you know big tears stained face and it's awful afterwards you just say I'm really sorry that I upset you we had to get to the appointment on time can I have a big hug I'm really sorry so you're not sorry that you had the boundary but you're just sorry that you upset them when you were doing it and maybe they might not understand you if they're like 18 months or two two years old But at some point they will understand and it trains you into doing this rupture and repair, healing any damage you've caused by having to pick them up or yelling at them. Because every parent yells, I yell, everybody bloody yells. It's impossible not to. It's just about making things right afterwards. Hence, I hope you can understand there's no gentle parenting way. It's not like a nice simple meme or a TikTok video that lasts for 30 seconds. It's so much more in depth than that. Yeah, of course. Is there any limit on the rupture and repair then? Because I'm just thinking of, you know, I have a um a daughter and she's going to be three in at the end of April. So she's two and I don't know how many months, ten, two and two and ten months or something like that. And she understands a lot. She's she's clever, but she still, you know, there there are multiple times a day where there's something that is required whether that's just simply mm-hmm. that she needs to eat which I think is a fair enough thing that children need to do at that at, at some point throughout the day or she needs to walk to school with me and she doesn't want to walk or whatever the, the thing might be and there are I often find myself um you know I, I kind of without knowing it I have got an understanding of being respectful to her and apologizing, you know, and saying, mommy, sorry uh-huh. that I had to, you know, I do, I do have those kind of inclinations, but there are multiple times a day where she might, not every day, obviously, but uh-huh. on some days there are multiple times where she will have a tantrum and I will have to, you know, panic to repair or mm-hmm. step in with a boundary or whatever it might be. Is there uh-huh. a limit on that? Or can you do that once you, once you're aware that you're putting the boundary yeah. in and you're, and you're apologizing for the upset rather than the act. Can you do yeah, that? So there's a few things going on there. Again, I yeah. would say 
are we focusing enough on the understanding and trying to prevent it? You know, yeah. what are the triggers for her? How can we make things easier for her? How can we change what we're asking of her or make it more fun or more enjoyable? So it may be that you need to do more of, you know, gentle parenting isn't just constantly making them upset and apologizing. We've yeah. got to think, why are they struggling so much and how can I help with that? But toddlers, preschoolers, you know, any age up to actually 25-ish, they have, and I mean years, not months, wow. they, <laughs> part of their brain responsible for emotion regulation and impulse control is really immature. So it takes, you know, <laughs> the first kind of two decades of life for that to all connect up and to develop the skills to be able to think I'm really angry but this is not an appropriate place to scream or I'm really sad and I'm going to calm down and take a breath rather than cry my eyes out in the middle of the superstore or whatever so toddlers do have lots of big emotions and really poor impulse control and if you think about the toddler's average day you know how many times we say no it's constant you know that they don't get to do what they want, when they want, how they want it most of the time. It's just constantly stop, no, do this, blah, 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 blah. So life is really difficult for them. And we mistakenly call that being naughty. It's not. It's just them being a toddler without the brain development to really understand your point of view and how it affects you and others, but also how to calm themselves down without this big explosion. So in essence, you're almost asking, how can you stop toddlers tantruming so much? You can't. There's no magic answer. You could use a sort of an older style of parenting where you maybe put them in timeout, naughty step, bold, bold step, I think you guys call it, and teach them that when you have big feelings, I don't like you. So I'm going to put you over here and exclude you and leave you by yourself until you learn to mask your emotions, because that is all they do. Um, or you can just kind of deal with them and not take it personally. But I think... You don't have to necessarily apologize all the time, but just see when they are crying, even if it's something over like you've given them the blue cup and not the red cup, we might trivialize that and think that's silly. But to them, it's the biggest thing in their world. So showing that you understand, you know, you really struggled with that, but I'm really proud that you did it rather than constantly apologizing. And the other thing I think about is parenting is really, 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 really hard. It's impossible to be calm all of the time. And we have our own big emotions and we have our own explosions when we can't contain our emotions and regulate. They pick up on that. Even if we're not yelling, they'll pick up on how we're holding ourselves, how we're speaking and so forth. So um, you mentioned I have a book called How to Be a Calm Parent. And is it linked to gentle parenting? Like, I think it's the most important thing. We can't pretend to be a gentle parent. At its heart, although it's about understanding children, it's also about understanding ourselves and what we bring to the table. So it's about understanding the baggage we're carrying from our childhood, the beliefs and the expectations from there. It's about understanding the impact of the outside world and the demands that are placed on us. For women, it's about understanding really how women have been sort of seen and spoken about and pictured in the last 50 to 100 years. You know, we'll will be spoken about as if we're being emotional is a bad thing to be and you know or being strong is a bad thing to be and we tend to slip into what I call the good girl territory where we 
somehow feel that we shouldn't be a bother to other people and that we should be calm and in control and behave so that life is easier for other people. And that's just not true. So we carry all of this with us. And plus then we get no sleep. Um, we're exhausted for, you know, a million other reasons. And it's like we're carrying a bucket with us every day. And that bucket, imagine it's full to the brim with water, except that water is all the issues that we're struggling with in life right now. So it could be issues with our partners, ex-partners, parents, friends, work, money, everything else. And it's like we've all, we're all doing a balancing act. We're all carrying this bucket around, trying not to slosh the water out. And then our kids will come and do something very normal, very typical for a toddler or a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old, and they'll just knock us. So maybe they'll have left a toy out that you've asked them to tidy and we've trodden on it. And then we yell and we everything that's in our bucket comes out at them. Something called emotional displacement. Um, and we'll yell or our reaction will be completely out of line with what the child is doing. And then the thing is, then they pick up on that and then they they learn to yell and they learn to be stressy. <laughs> so it's really hard when you say, you know, are you apologising too much? I think you can never show too much empathy. But if you are apologising an awful lot, I'd be looking at two things. One, are you are you doing enough to remove the triggers and make things easier for the child? And two, are you doing enough to remove your own triggers and make things easier for you? Mm, yeah. And most of the time we're not. We try to make our children be nice and calm and well-behaved and gentle when actually we're like a massive turmoil and a volcano waiting to explode. So is it true to say then that a lot of our, um, how we behave around our children brings out the best and the worst of 100%. them? Yeah, everything, okay. everything they learn from us. Everything, okay. good and bad. And and how then, because I was looking, um, I had a little look online about gentle parenting and, and there was a lot of kind of discourse, I suppose, about the difference between being a gentle parent and being a permissive parent sure. so what like I was kind of struggling to understand what someone would mean by permissive because you know it, it, there can't there you know you can't live in a world where your children just do whatever they want whenever they want and you mm -hmm. just you know tiptoe around that so I I know that that can't be what gentle parenting means and it's a lot it of also... people are drawn to gentle parenting because they mm. themselves were raised in, with quite harsh parenting okay yes and yeah. they vow I'm not going to be like that with my children uh-huh yeah but then what that then morphs into is I think they then get scared of upsetting their children it's like I don't want to be the person that upsets them mm -hmm. so they really struggle to say no or stop. So let's say and would that be, is that what you would call permissive parenting then? Yeah, just absolutely. so let's say you were sitting with yeah. a two-year-old and they had a, a toy car, something and it's metal, and they're banging it into you and it hurts. And we have the right to not be hurt by our children or by anybody. So a permissive parenting that's oh darling, stop. Oh, that hurts. Oh, why don't you play with it on the floor? But the kid would keep hitting them. And the parent wouldn't do very much about it. They'd be like, oh, stop it. And then if somebody said something to them, they'd say, oh, they're only little. They don't understand. So but the difficult behavior is continuing and they're getting hurt. And to be honest, there's only so much that you can handle that before you will explode. Mm -hmm. Whereas with gentle parenting, 
you would absolutely see the child is not being naughty deliberately. They're two. They haven't got a clue. They don't understand empathy. They're not meaning to hurt you deliberately. You would also understand that they're probably doing this because they want my attention. So it may be at the time that you were sitting on your phone or maybe you were talking to somebody else. And it's a real sort of way for the child to say, hey, see me, play with me. I'm really bored. So the sort of destructive or hurtful behavior is them saying, I'm really struggling with the fact that you're not interacting with me right now. So we would understand that, but we would equally say, stop, I won't let you hurt me and take the car away. At that point, the child will probably cry. If we're gentle, then we would be like, it's okay, you know, I had to take it because it was hurting me, come and give me a hug. An authoritarian or a harsh parent at that point would be like, what are you crying for? I'll give you something to cry about. Go and sit in the timeout or the naughty step. And they were punished them for having those feelings. Mm. So you've got kind of three styles. One where parents are generally lovely. They're too gentle. They don't ever want to upset their child. So they tend to not step in. And, you know, if you've got a child who's got a beaker of water and they're pouring it all over the floor, they'll be like, oh, look, they're, they're exploring. They think they're painting. Isn't that lovely? In the middle of a restaurant. Where, you know, somebody could walk on it and slip over and hurt themselves. Whereas I'd be like, hey, you know, I know you want to have fun. I'm going to take that away. When we get home, we'll do pouring in the bath. And they might cry and that's okay. And I give them a hug and say, I understand, you know, it's a bit boring. Let's hurry up our food and we'll go home and we'll play water play when we get home. Mm -hmm. So it's absolutely keeping them safe, keeping you safe, adopting social kind of boundaries. A lot of what we expect in society is a bit weird and not great for children, but something like that, you know, if they're tipping water over the floor in the middle of a restaurant, I would absolutely stop it. This podcast is just one way that every mum supports you. Another amazing way is our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one baby wipe in Ireland. To receive yours, register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. Mm-hmm. So in that case, then permit. So I, I almost feel like in that case, the word gentle parent or the, the phrase gentle parenting is yeah. a misnomer is a misnomer in a way because mm-hmm. it indicates like when I hear gentle par- parenting, I think I do think permissive parenting. I do think of the, the parent who's like, oh, look at them, you know, causing chaos over there. Mm-hmm. Isn't that cute? Or, you know, someone mm-hmm. who whose child is being you know, doing, doing something that's, that's, you know, like that hurtful or dangerous or just downright wrong and they're not stepping in or they step in and are, you know, per- permissive and too, almost not, not that you can be too kind to your child, but too kind mm-hmm. of, oh, it's okay. Don't, you know, we, we, we don't do that. And they don't, the child doesn't. And learn. then also they're not teaching the child anything. Yeah. So actually they're not yeah. helping the child because they're not teaching the child how to behave correctly. So it's mm. actually going to cause more issues for the child as they grow up. Mm. So do you then, you know, do you think there are misconceptions about what gentle parenting entails? Because speaking to you now, mm. I can completely see, you know, that there are boundaries and there are, you know, you yeah. can be, um, there's room for kind of, a you know, strictness for want of a better phrase. There is room to, guide your children a lot of people in the teaching world they call it warm strict okay warm and nurturing but you're also strict um in psychology it's just authoritative parenting there's only three styles of parenting authoritarian which is the harsh 
put them in timeout, smack their bottoms, mm-hmm. yell at them, or permissive. Authoritative parenting is just parenting that is warm but strict. It is demanding of children and it has boundaries, but it understands their capabilities and it's mm-hmm. very respectful of them and very compassionate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's two things that bother me about gentle parenting. And I, when I started using the phrase in like 12, 13 years ago, I started using it because I was using it in relation to sleep. And I wanted people to understand that when I ran sleep workshops, I wasn't using like controlled crying or something like that. So I called it gentle sleep training. And then I wrote the gentle parenting book. And then it took probably another three or four years and no one was talking about it. And then all of a sudden TikTok came along and it exploded and people started talking about gentle parenting. And then the media picked up on the TikToks and not what I'd written. And everybody's very confused and obviously the media like to pick up on like extremes of things like look at this crazy mum of seven who never says no to her children and they have no bedtime you know children do what they want if they want to be up at three o'clock in the morning on the xbox that's fine that's not gentle parenting but that's what makes good clickbait yeah no you're right yeah the media and the clickbait and the tiktoks have made people have a completely incorrect expectations of gentle parenting in terms of permissiveness and discipline um and I actually have a book the gentle parenting book the the book that I wrote after that was called the gentle discipline book all about discipline but nobody covers that so everybody says oh gentle parents don't discipline they don't say no and the other thing that I get again and again and again is gentle parenting is toxic on toxic on parents it only works if you're naturally calm and it makes parents feel like failures And I'm like, no one's naturally calm. Everybody yells. Everybody loses it. That's irrelevant. You know, it's actually, if you really understand it, it's about being gentle to yourself. It's about thinking, okay, this is what happened to me in my childhood. And I'm being a cycle breaker and I'm changing things. And that takes work. And I need to be graceful and kind to myself. And also the society I live in is really hard. And I've got a lot against me. And I'm trying my best. And really, all I talk about is being good enough. So trying your best, screwing up countless times. Um, I have a ratio. I say, aim to be good enough 70% of the time. And don't worry about screwing up 30% of the time. And, you know, some days it might be you screw up 80% of the time and you do your best 20%. Then you think, okay, I'm going to do better tomorrow. Or obviously, I've got stuff going on in myself that I need to work with here. So it's about always being conscious, understanding what you're bringing to the table, what's affecting your ability to be calm. Maybe it's the expectations that you've got around your child are completely wrong. So what we expect of them regarding sleep, like 99% of that is completely rubbish. And then that makes us feel like a failure. And then we'll be told, oh, you should do self-care. And then we're like, oh, my God, I've got no time for self-care. I've like between working and cleaning and cooking and sorting my kids out. When am I meant to fit in time to do meditation or something? Mm. Or we'll go to a yoga class and we'll think, well, that didn't work. Self-care didn't work for me. I must be a lost cause. But I talk about something called self-kindness because I think self-care is just another pressure on parents. It's something else Mm. we've got to do. So I just talk about just be kind to yourself. If you have a bad day, that's okay. It's just a bad day. Everybody has bad days. If you were child was having a bad day, you'd be kind to them. Be kind to yourself because it all starts with you. Mm-hmm. And it is literally just about trying your best 
And when things don't work out or you do yell or you scream or you do other things you're not proud of, you just take a deep breath and think, okay, what caused that to happen? What can I do to, one, make it right with my child, which is simply just apologising, which we don't do enough to children, and two, thinking about, okay, how can I make some changes to my life so I'm not so overwhelmed that this is less likely to happen again? Mm -hmm. But the perception is that only a certain type of person can do gentle parenting. You know, you can only have one child. You know, I don't, I have four kids and your children have to be naturally easy and they can't be neurodivergent. And you, you know, you, you have to be in a privileged situation. You have to be in a, in a couple or a partnership and it's all rubbish. Anybody can do it because at its heart, it's understanding yourself and your child and being kind to yourself and kind to your child. I suppose uh, something I always say to myself throughout the days when I'm trying to, you know, be a parent and be a good parent, I should say, I remind myself of her age. So I, I, I'll stop in a situation and go, she's only two and a half. She doesn't yeah. know. She do, like She's only two and a half. This hasn't occurred to her as, you know, inappropriate or bad mm-hmm. or whatever. And they're not, she's not deliberately trying to manipulate me or deliberately trying to wind me up. No. And as much as like, I always call, I, I joke and call my little girl a manipulative shrew, like um in Friends when, when Chandler calls Monica that. But because there are times where you, even as a grown woman, I think, God, she really knows how to push my buttons today or she really knows how to, you know, whatever that is. But then I have to remind myself, she's only two and a half. I am the adult in this situation. Mm-hmm. In situations where I, something that I struggle with that I know I would never have considered myself a gentle parent, but the more I learn from you, the, the more kind of accurate description that I'm mm-hmm. learning from you, as opposed to what I've seen on TikTok, to be honest. I think I'm, I think I am. I think I have been practicing certain elements of it. I think most people are, to be honest. Yeah, no, yeah. Really trying to. Yeah, but I feel something that I struggle with and something that I'm, I'm, I find myself not sure of at times is the language to use when I'm, um, trying to convey to Lydia, mm-hmm. my daughter, that that something is not, that that what she has done is not appropriate or bad or bold or whatever. And so sometimes, I mean, when I was a child and obviously a lot of what you've explained to me about gentle parenting is a total throwback to all of our youths and, well, yeah. you know, our own childhoods. When I was a child, I would have been told, you can't do that, that's bold or yeah. you're bold you're bold don't do that you're you're that's bold girls do that or that's something that bold yeah. girls do or whatever and because I know that that's programmed into me sometimes I find myself saying those things yeah but it I comes out when you're tired or exhausted it's just it's just the phrase I open my mouth and my mother came out a hundred percent all the time um and I would love to know what kind of language would you consider appropriate or what way would you consider it appropriate to impart that awareness onto a child that what they've done is not good and you're not going to accept it and how like how do you articulate the boundary for a two-year-old you know it's I I find it very difficult to to articulate that without being overly strict or or you know um it's I, really I don't know, being mean yeah, I, I- what you say isn't necessarily how you make it gentle parenting. It's not, this is how to say it, but there mm-hmm. are two things I'd be mindful of. I would really try and not use the word naughty or bold. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're describing behavior or her, mm-hmm. 
Because even if you say that was naughty, like it's not a good descriptor. What is naughty? What does that mean? Does that mean she's been deliberately plotting to do it? So you could say that was wrong or that hurt or that was dangerous. So just if you just try and drop the word naughty or bold full stop, whether it's about behavior or them. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I find really helpful is to explain what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. Okay. So if it's, you know, you know, stop, it was naughty, you ran away from me. I would say, you know, it's dangerous if you don't walk with me. I need you to walk next to me holding my hand next time. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It teaches them more. It tells them what you want them to do, and they're much more likely to listen to that. Mm -hmm. Something that I picked up, and I will admit it was from TikTok, um, was the idea of, um, you know, I I remember Lydia when she was a little bit younger would um if she didn't want to eat something she would throw it on the ground instead mm-hmm. of just instead of just stopping eating she would take it yeah. and throw it on the ground and I found myself saying don't throw that on the ground you don't put and I and I kept referencing the ground and throwing and all that kind of stuff and I started to say instead our food goes in our mouth it only mm-hmm. goes in our mouth it doesn't go on the floor it only goes in our mouth and that actually that approach seemed to work better. Is that something that you can apply in in other situations? Is that what you mean by telling them what? So it's telling them what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do. The other thing, so we've veered onto, again, what I call firefighting. Mm-hmm. So you're, how, you're dealing with it as it happens without thinking about why it happens. Mm-hmm. So I always say, you know, gentle parenting has, it's like a tree with three branches. You've got the trunk, that's you. And you impact everything. So what you need in terms of eating is for your child to see you eating and see what you do with something that you don't want. So it's the role modeling. And then you've got a branch that comes out to the side. That's the firefighting. That's how we deal with it in the moment. So that's like food stays on the plate. But then the other branch is why do they keep doing this? Why do they keep throwing it? Is there something I can do to actually stop it? Mm -hmm. And that is way more powerful than this one. Mm-hmm. So for here, I'd be like, so why are they throwing their food on the floor? There are two reasons that this happens most of the time. One is because um, of something called a schema. So it's how they learn and process the world. And there's something called a trajectory schema that all children go through um, at about your child's age, which is where they like to watch the movement of something. And they learn about gravity and density and speed and weight and how things move. And the most exciting trajectory schema to a toddler is when things fall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They throw stuff and that's fun because they can see how quickly it goes and it might make a noise or it might make a splatting pattern on the floor. It's always going to throw things, particularly wet things, juicy things, things that make noises. So the thing that I would do there is think, okay, how can I incorporate more throwing that I'm okay with into their life? So it's like fulfill that. It's like if if you have a puppy who chews everything, You can't take that need away, but you can fulfill it by giving them a chew toy. So it's the same thing with a toddler. If they keep throwing stuff, they need to throw. I can't fulfill it with this, but I could get some beanbags and some hoops or throw a beanbag into something. Or we could go to the park and we could take a ball or we could drop things off of a balcony and see what happens or something like that. So you're meeting that need. The second reason that they tend to do this is because we absolutely overload their plates so if you put too much food on their plate and they're not hungry, 
We are incredibly controlling over baby, toddler, children's eating. And it's not good for them. It's they we set them up with poor eating habits from the very beginning. So a better thing to do would be to give them a plate and to some food in front of them and allow them to serve themselves up what they want. So the only food on the plate is the ones they've put there and what they want, which means that it's far less likely there'll be stuff on the plate they don't want. So way less likely that they throw things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing that most people don't think of that actually, um, I call it use your adult brain. Like how can we solve things without even having to worry about discipline? If your child mm-hmm. keeps throwing things from the high chair, the simplest solution there is to get rid of the high chair. But we think of all these discipline strategies and I'm like, get rid of the high chair. They're really weird. If you think about us as a species in history, we've only had high chairs for a hundred years. Get an old shower mat or a piece of, you know, um, wipe down tablecloth, pop them on the floor and let them eat on the floor like a picnic. They don't throw anything anymore. Mm. Yeah, but that makes sense, actually. We stress ourselves trying to stop a behaviour when it's like, use your adult brain. How could you actually stop this dead in its tracks? Mm-hmm. Is to put them on the ground and let them eat their food. Down and it's and really, what, what harm? <laughs> yeah, and I talk, I talk in one of my books about when my son was a similar age to daughter. We used to go to play group, and he had a used to tantrum every time he didn't get the biscuit that he wanted at the end. And I used to dread this. I used to try and like angle to try and sit him at the front so that there would always be that biscuit. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, it happened. Like the child before would get it, and my heart would sink, and he'd have a tantrum and start throwing stuff everywhere. I can't remember, you know, this is a long time ago, how often we went through this and I tried, you know, what should I say to him? How can I prepare him for it in advance? How can I, you know, help him with his feelings afterwards? How can I be calm? The simplest thing I should have done is I should have had one from home, wrapped it up in some foil, put it in my pocket. There you go. No issue. But we don't do that. We mm-hmm. literally, we put ourselves in these situations that we could get out of so easily because we're obsessed with making everything a teachable, disciplinable moment. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you can avoid it, even better. Yeah. And and you're you're totally right. I think as a parent, your inclination is, you're, you know, like I remember joking with my husband before when I was pregnant, I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait to teach her things. I can't wait to teach her about music and I can't wait to teach her how mm-hmm. to draw, and, you know. And then when she was born, I remember saying, we have to teach her everything. We have mm-hmm. to teach her every single thing she knows we have to teach mm-hmm. her. And that was really scary. But you're totally right. Not everything has to be a teachable no. moment. And everything they need to learn, they learn from us just being as us. Everyday yeah, interactions. Yeah. They don't need us to be teachers to them. They just mm-hmm. need us to be us and great role models. I think what what. I'm kind of getting from you in as regards gentle parenting. I, uh, my husband and I, when Lydia was four months old, we decided to talk to a sleep coach to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, how to help Lydia sleep well. And, and we knew that having enough sleep or the sleep that she needed would be beneficial for her, but we hadn't a clue where to start. Mm-hmm. And that process, I always say, I try to explain it to people, that process, the one that we went through anyway, did not reference like all it did was teach us how mm. babies need to sleep and what they need and how mm. often they need it. And, it, and you know, they taught us about sleep cycles and, and it, it was purely, it, it was, it was very little to do with the baby. It was very mm. much to do with our education. And to yeah. me, it sounds like gentle parenting is very much to do with 
you understanding the wants and needs of your child. It's basically self-therapy and Mm -hmm. discovering yourself and understanding yourself combined with doing some child psychology research. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, that's kind of what it is. You know, yeah. We understand how children develop, develop, particularly their brain, particularly their emotions and make sure we understand ourselves and our impact on them. Mm-hmm. and uh, um, an Instagram account I'm not sure if you're familiar with it you probably are it's called I think it's called healthiest baby and it right. they, they put up all these little cartoons of what your what your two and a half year old needs now and what your three-year-old thinks when and you know and it shows all these different things and I found it fascinating because it really makes you it really puts you into the position of the child mm-hmm. and those the specific things that they can and can't do and why they do certain things and to me, from speaking to you now, it seems like that's what gentle parenting is. It's just being having an awareness of what your child is, is and isn't capable of and having with, an awareness with, with of having, yeah. And put, yeah. but it's not about not putting in a boundary and it's not about permitting absolutely everything. Yeah. It's more so just having a kind of an awareness of what your child can and can't do at a, at a particular age is that I think part of the issue is most of the parenting advice that is mainstream and popular mm-hmm. stems back about 125 years ago okay. to when the behaviorists were in force so it's you know how do we make children do things mm-hmm. so we can make them do things by rewarding them but more often by making them feel bad so by putting them in timeout, by smacking them, by shouting at them, by yelling at them, by if you want to teach them to sleep, by leaving them to cry, by teaching them that if they cry, we don't come. And so much parenting advice has focused on that for over 100 years now. If we look at the mainstream parenting advice in the 80s, 90s, early noughties, it's mm-hmm. all focused on behaviorism, controlling children, whether that control is through a threat of fear or threat of removing rewards Mm -hmm. and I think what's happened now in science we've reached the point that we understand so much about brain development that we realize that we don't want to control it would be easy for us if they were obedient and easily controllable but that comes at a cost it's about actually we need to understand them and what they're thinking what they're feeling and most importantly what they're capable of and working with them rather trying to you know externally control them and the crazy thing is if we were controlling to our partners we'd be labeled as being a domestic abuser Mm. if we did some of the things to our partners that we do to children regularly as a society but yeah it's I think it's the change in how we see them and the change in how we see ourselves Mm. just before I let you go and trust me when I say I have still got a huge list of questions I could ask (laughs) but I really I really would like to know something that I find I struggle with and I know a lot of parents struggle with is the idea of trying to be present as a parent, trying to, trying to be in the moment and, you know, block out the noise and just be with your child. Mm-hmm. How do you advise people to do that more, you know, better? Or um, I think we put too much pressure on ourselves to do that. And when we mm-hmm. put pressure on ourselves to do it, it becomes harder there's a, a really famous Insta reel or TikTok that talks about 18 summers and make the most of all of them. Mm-hmm. I find that sort of speech really unhelpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you only really realise how important those moments were and how quickly the time goes when you get much older. 
you know, retrospectively, I realize now, but at the time, I just needed a day to end so that I could have some peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I wouldn't put pressure on myself to do that. I think, you know, try and look for the sort of little moments of happiness and excitement. You know, if you're outside and your child is picking up a rock and showing you, it can be all too easy to say, yes, that's a nice idea. Come on, let's go. But maybe just keep reminding yourselves, you know, to me, it's the little things, but that might be the big thing that they remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could all do with being more playful with them. And I think, you know, I find it really hard to play, but that's generally because I wasn't played with much as a child. I was an only child, but also I'm so busy with work and the demands of adult life that I forget to be playful. And I think if we all did things that we found you know, more playful and fun, that would be better rather than thinking, okay, it's Saturday, I've got to clean the house from top to bottom, I've got to batch cook some food, I've got to prepare for nursery next week, rather than, you know, you know, it's Saturday, let's go to the park, let's feed the ducks. That's just as important as the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the pressure that we place upon ourselves, you know, a lot of the pressure comes from following people on social media. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful that I had my children before that existed. Because yes, I yeah. know that I would follow accounts that should be really inspiring, but would make me feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. So I think be really careful. You get shown a carefully curated image of somebody's life on social media that's not real. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think don't be, don't be afraid to do nothing. Because even when we think we're doing nothing, you know, we're not doing the, the special messy play idea. We're just having a cuddle and watching TV that's still doing something you know that's Mm -hmm. still having a cuddle and watching tv together and having a chat about the show that will have just as much of an important impact on your child's brain as if you sat them in some beautifully dyed different colored rice and played with it together Mm -hmm. so i think we just put too much pressure on ourselves with everything we do for sure and one of the things that i think a lot of people put pressure on when it comes to their children is the idea of obedience and I think so somewhere along the line, you know, it became a thing that if your child is really obedient and does what you tell them and is, you know, mm-hmm. quiet and kind and whatever, that you somehow qualify for a parenting gold star. See, I find what, what... obedient children really scary because it's really abnormal. <laughs> yeah. If I see very obedient children, I worry, are they masking? Are they holding mm. their feelings in? What happens to them as they get older? You know, we talk so much about mental health and it's important to share how you're feeling and to talk about it as an adult. But we spend the whole of childhood telling children to sit down, shut up, be quiet, be good, do what you're told. Mm-hmm. You know, can't have it both ways. Children are not yeah. meant to be obedient, <laughs> meant to be loud and crazy and do stupid things and not listen to us. And that's absolutely no reflection on your parenting no so the parenting gold star should come from having a child to act like a child is what is what you're saying so it comes to the expectations and the understanding of what normal child development is again yeah and not yeah. the hangovers of the 50s and 60s where children should be seen and not heard mm-hmm. because we know so much since then and we know that that really shouldn't be the goal mm-hmm. but- and I think sometimes kind of anecdotally you you hear that parents think that if 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 they raise an obedient child or if they raise a child who has been taught right and wrong and been shown you know how to behave and what's right and all that kind of stuff that they will be prepared for the very difficult world that they're about to go into because we all know more than ever the world is a is a very dark place at times but in actual fact 
I have always believed, and I feel like the gentle parenting approach probably would be to raise a resilient child who's, you know, emotionally stable. Raise a resilient child is by helping to regulate their emotions, Mm -hmm. which is by nurturing them. You know, we know that when parenting is more nurturing, it grows a specific part in the brain called the amygdala, which is the seat of emotion regulation. So children who have had more nurturance, and that doesn't mean hugs, it means nurturing parenting, compassion, empathy, have better impulse control, have better emotion regulation as adults. Those are the adults who are better equipped for the difficult world. And actually, maybe those are the adults who help to make our world a little bit kinder and nicer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and that's so that's so at odds. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's so at odds with what you would think, you know, yeah. you would think if your child is well behaved and you've you've been strict with them and you've told them what's what to do and you've blah blah, blah that they will be tough and ready for the world but in actual fact no blah. they're absolutely not they've just got all those big things they were never allowed to show that they hold inside and when when you grow up with those big feelings that you hold inside what you tend to do is one of two things we tend to externalize them as we get older and that comes out as you know fighting shouting abuse difficult relationships or we tend to internalize them which is what women do a lot more and we tend to have poorer mental health more anxiety more depression we're more likely to have an eating disorder we're more likely to self-harm um you know neither of those are resilient neither of those people are coping well with the world they're carrying their childhood wounds and trauma with them while being a kind of a good drone to not upset the balance of things Mm -hmm. and I don't think actually that that's what anybody wants to raise the difficulty is it is a lot harder when they're younger and I think the last thing I say the misconception with gentle parenting is people say it doesn't work because my child is still feral but when we look at working, we need to think about assessing the results 10, 20, 30 years down the line. We're not trying to raise obedient, compliant little robot children. We're trying to raise happy, confident, emotionally healthy individuals and adults. Mm-hmm. And the frustrating thing about all the effort you put in is it can take decades to reap the rewards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of terrifying but also very clever at the same time yeah. <laughs> I'm like what sort of child have I raised I will only know in two decades time. 20 or 30 years yeah <laughs> and I get you know glimmers of it now and again and you hang on to any glimmers when they turn around and say to you mommy I'm feeling really angry can you help and you're like a glimmer let me hold on to that to give me some hope to get me through the next year or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sarah thank you so much I like I said I, I have so many more things I want to ask but we only have so long um but i just yeah i'll I'll make sure to um link your instagram in the notes below the episode because there are plenty of nuggets of wisdom and that people can read through there from from all of your different books but thank you so much again for joining me on every moment the podcast thank you for having me thank you so much for listening and to water wipes the number one baby wipe brand in ireland for their support Their wipes are made with just two ingredients, 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. And they are plant-based and plastic-free. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate, or if you have time, we'd love a review. You can share this episode across social and get in touch with me or this week's guest. Our handles will be on the Everyone Instagram page. 